Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two. Thank you for listening to the Successful Life Podcast. We have no dues or fees, so please refer to this podcast to a friend. Make sure you rate, review, and hit the subscribe button. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I'm here with Alex Spinoza. Did I say that right, Spinoza? Yeah, you did. All right, yeah. fantastic. Usually, I completely butcher the fuck out of everybody's last name, <laughs> so uh, or I just can't pronounce it at all. Fortunately, yours was a little easier. So, Alex, so I was just talking with Alex a little bit about I had you know Alex and I share similar interests in that he owns a a, a hormone replacement. If I'm that is correct, you do peptides mm -hmm. and, and hormone replacement. Okay, yeah. so. Uh, and as you all probably know by now, I used to have a portal replacement uh, facility or medical spa, whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, we were just talking about his medical clothing line, which is called um, PC Threads. So, mm -hmm. Alex, uh, do you, I know it's a little bit out of order, but can you um, tell me about, can you tell me that story again of how you started up the, it's essentially a scrub scrubs right yes yeah medical scrubs mm -hmm. okay yeah so last year when i was in the rta the first year i met my business partner in that lewis chapa who's an er physician out of texas and uh he called me up one day asked if i was tired of doing medicine all the time and i said yeah absolutely he's like you want to do something else i said hell yeah what do you what do you want to do so he came up with the idea of doing some sort of athletic clothing or clothing in general and um, after talking for a while, we kind of narrowed it down to doing uh, scrubs or medical scrubs, something within the medical field. We figured, hey, let's stick to our strengths. We looked at all our competitors. None of our competitors were actually run by any type of uh, physician in the, in the medical field. So we were like, you know what, let's, let's build scrubs, you know, for other providers. Isn't that interesting, though, that... Yeah. That nobody, like, they wouldn't have a medical person on their board or somebody, you know, trickling down. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them, I mean, some of them were, were run by nurses or had, like, a nurse as part of their um, first group kind of with the idea. But there were no physicians. There was no doctors doing it. So we're just like, you know what, let's, let's try and let's do this. Um, so we looked at a bunch of different uh, providers for our materials and stuff and our very first meeting was in downtown LA at the fashion district. So we went down there to look for people that could create these clothings for us. And Lewis and my partner uh, and our third partner, Paul flew out from San Antonio to LA. We met in downtown LA in the fashion district. And we walked into this building that was supposed to be uh, the, like the best company for materials and creating uh, medical scrubs. They had medical scrubs as, as their uh, uh, one of the things that they did. Oh, so okay. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. We walk, we walk in there and from the very beginning, it was like we were in a movie. It was something out of a cartoon. This guy, this Swedish guy greets us. He's got a Swedish national team, yellow jersey on. He's got this yellow, blonde, long Fabio looking hair. And he has the thickest, thickest Swedish accent. And we walk in there and he just starts giving us all these materials he's like hello everybody how was you is all our materials they are the nicest materials that you can imagine 
And so, so we're going through all these materials and he's like, yes, this one is probably the best for the athletic clothing. And you can tell he, there's a disconnect between like medical clothing and athletic clothing. Cause he's showing us really thin dry fit stuff. He's like, this will be the good for the blood. You don't get the blood on this. And it's like, <laughs> it's really not going to work. It's going to tear the first time you go to, you know, give somebody compressions or something. So we sit there and we finally pick out a, a thick material that we liked that was kind of like Lululemon or a thicker quality to it. And we sit down and we say, okay, you know, this is how much we need. We would like, how fast can you get us a sample? And he's like, so like, you know, like a, a sample. So you go ahead. Yeah. Sample. Yeah. Guy. So we figured, Hey, we got the material. Uh, he's going to cut it into a sample of what we kind of want. And then we could try it on and then we'll order more from him and then he'll just produce the clothing and, and we'll be good. Right. Um, now turns out it doesn't go that way. So he looks at us funny. He's like, what's a sample? And he's like, yeah, how, do, how fast can you make it into like a garment? He's like, no, silly. We don't make it into a garment. You need a cutting place for that. We do not cut and sew. And it was like, what do you mean you don't cut and sew? Like, you have the material there. No, you need a, you need a factory for that. We, I can give you some. You come back when you need, fact, when you need me. So it was like, uh, okay. So, so they just sold like the like yard, yards of material? I guess, I guess. Is that yes. what I'm understanding? Yeah, so that's all they did was sold yards of material. So going back, we, we, back to square one, literally Googled, okay, what are the steps to creating uh, medical scrubs? Follow the steps and realize that there are multiple steps to creating a clothing line. For nothing, not everything's in-house. So usually you go to a place to get the materials. Then you take those materials and you go to a designer who cuts the materials into a sample. And then you take that sample and then you test the materials to, for what it's necessary, uh, antimicrobial, four-way stretch, et cetera. And then once that passes, then you go to a different company, and they're the ones who actually can produce it on a large scale. And then that goes to shipping company who sends it over to us, et cetera. Now, do you have to have it made by a specific person because it's medical? No. So the, Okay. Well, it doesn't have to be made by a specific person. However, it has to be made by a company who can treat clothing. Um, so usually most bigger companies can do treatment of clothing. You can't do like a mom and pop shop because you have to send the material to get treated for antimicrobial and stuff like that. Uh, so we found that out later that it was all different steps. So when we went back to square one, we're like, okay, let's just find a company who could do everything from A to Z finally found a company that could do that. And 10 months later, we had a, we, or about eight months later, we had a sample and about, you know, nine months later, we had all of our stuff ready to go. That's pretty incredible. So do you, um, so do you, you sell it primarily online? Do you have a store? So right now it's all e-commerce. Yep. Okay. All online. Absolutely. Starting all online and everything. It's going pretty well. Um, with anything, any type of clothing brand, we're like, yeah, right out of the gate, we're going to kill it. It's going to be like eight figures and stuff. It's like, well, it's clothing. So you have to go, it's got to be slow. People have to wear it. Once people wear it or feel it, they feel how amazing it is, but you can't feel, you know, a computer screen right. and you don't want to do the retail store right away. Cause although people can feel it, you have to pay for, you know, all the overhead people to be standing in the, in the. Uh, retail store all the right stock in there just waiting for people to walk in well that and it's a specialty item sort of yeah. i mean there's a shit ton of medical people on the planet but it's still a niche yep absolutely right? Ab so, no you're right it absolutely is interesting okay i think that's super i think that's awesome because most of the scrubs like you know there's several brands but yeah none of them are fantastic like they're yeah. just not yeah, it's a $22 billion industry, and they make mostly garbage. Yeah. So it's like, well, why can't we make – we made our own materials, um, our own blend, you know, made sure that it was better than anything else out there, thicker than anything else out there, as well as to, like, hold up to somebody actually working for a long period of time. And 
because we got tired of wearing the same garbage over and over and over. So sure. Now, what um, does it? I have to ask this. Does it? You know, does it stay? Does the blood stain? Uh, yeah. D- does it still stain the material pretty bad? No, not at all. Because it's uh, stain. We have stain resistant. Okay. So it's pet dander, stain resistant, four way uh, stretch, antimicrobial, everything like that. So no, it doesn't. It doesn't stain these at all. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Awesome, because that was you know uh, there are several brands that you get blood on it and it's done. Well, you're in a medical, you're in, in yeah. the medical field. You're gonna get blood on you at some point. Absolutely, and you can't afford be to be buying brand new scrubs every single time. No, because they're expensive as shit. Like I'm surprised. I was shocked at how expensive they are. Yeah, absolutely. And then we also designed it so that people can wear it out. So if they're having a if you have a long shift or whatever you go to wear your scrubs out, it looks like you're in scrubs most of the time. Sure. Um, we, made, we made more designer ones with different cuts of the neck and Henleys and stuff like that, where if you wore it out, it just looked like you're wearing like more of a dressier shirt out or nice. dressier top out, both for males and females. Cause it was just like, I mean, you work all the time. You don't want to be that douche who is lifting in your scrubs and it's obvious that you're lifting or obvious that you're out at, you know, drinks with friends in your scrubs. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that makes total sense. So, Alex, I want you to let's go back for a minute. That's currently kind of one of the things that you're presently doing. But let's go back and I want you to tell the listeners about, you know, how you got to be in how you got to be a doctor, how, what made you think about being a doctor and, you know, childhood, how was that? Just take us through the whole game. Yeah. So, um, let's see, I was born in Northern California, Mather Air Force Base. My dad was in the Air Force. Um, my mom was a banker at that time. And then she, when my sister was born four years later, uh, quit that to be full-time mom. And then my dad built his own business. So he was an entrepreneur since very young. That was 22, 23. Okay. Um, Started that uh, HVAC business, still has it, still runs it, um, has a few employees now. It's been ta- it's taken him about thirty years to hire employees because <laughs> he grew up in that. You know, if you want to do it right, you better do it yourself. Right. So I grew up learning how to build everything. I can fix anything, etc. I'm only now realizing that sometimes it's cheaper to just hire an expert to do it rather than do it yourself. <laughs> it really so, is. There's lots of yeah. times. It is. That was a, that was a big lesson to learn, you know, take three hours cutting the grass yourself or just pay some guy, you know, 50 bucks, you know, a, qu- a quarter of what you make hourly to, to do it. It's like, well, why didn't I, why wouldn't I just do that? But, um, we, uh, I went to school back East at Dartmouth, um, for four years. And then after that, I went to England for medical school. So I got into medical school in England and I actually went over there for the sole reason of playing soccer. I wanted to play professional soccer over there. So I played semi-professional a bit over there and um, was kind of doing both medical school and the soccer thing at the same time. And I had to choose one or the other because I was just kind of failing at both because it was, it was really burning the wick at both ends and wasn't working out well. So I chose the thing that I thought I'd have a longer career in was obviously the glory of medicine. Right. Um, I, I grew up a blue collar. So you grew up thinking that medicine was the end all be all in terms of the money pit and man, I'm going to make millions of dollars and stuff like that. Maybe 50 years ago, but right. nowadays, nowadays your doctors are not making what people think. And even though people think we make money off of medications or vaccines or any of that shit, you don't make any of that money. There's none of that income coming to us. That's all to big pharma and the drug companies. So that's, so so that's facts. I think that's an interesting point. So I'm glad that you said that because a lot of people do believe that doctors, you know, they write certain prescriptions because that's what they get kickbacks on. Now in China, that is the case. Yeah. 100%. In the U.S. 50 years ago, it's it was the case, too. 
Right, but that's, not, that's no, 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 no. Because that's totally unethical. Yeah, not only that, like the anti-kickback laws uh, that were put into place, um, I have no idea, maybe 20 years ago, really just crushed a lot of that. We can't even uh, accept pens sometime from certain drug companies. Like they're, they're that stickler. And if you ever go to a dinner from a pharmacy rep or anything like that, you're supposed to actually report that to the physician. As, in, as income. As income every single time. Interesting. So, so it's it's actually really, really, it's gotten really bad for physicians um, who are in the medical, who, who are like working for the hospital or anything like that, where you, you can't, it, and it's good, it's good, you can't profit off of all these things, but it's not the money-making machine where if I give you all these drugs, I'm making all this money. No, it doesn't, doesn't work like that at all. You don't get any kickbacks from anybody. You treat people um, the way you feel like they need to be treated in the end you get what you get that's about it so it's a it's a good thing but it is also an unfortunate thing because doctors don't make what people think that they make sure so you really have to uh, you really are selling yourself for a very expensive hourly wage that's pretty much what you do you have a very expensive hourly rate wage so I went to work for, once I graduated, I went to work for a prison um, because prisons had the best hourly wage. Plus I wanted to do a lot of sports medicine and that was all prison was. All it was, was fighting, stabbing, you know, the, all they did was play sports all day long, weight lift injuries, et cetera. So it was pretty much 80 to 90% sports medicine and the rest was just like primary care stuff because it was all... It was like taking care of a bunch of MMA fighters every single day. That's so, interesting. I mean, just pause you for a second because, I, we, you know, when you said sports medicine, the last thing I thought you would say next is yeah, a prison. Mm-hmm. But you made some valid points. You're right. They are, uh, I've never been to prison, but I know people that have, and I knew that they fight like hell, and I, I didn't know about the sports and stuff. That's so such an interesting way to look at it because I would have never in a million years looked at it that way. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I looked into, I looked into, um, being a trainer or being a doctor for professional athletes and stuff like that. And the more I shadowed people or, or even when I was playing, I realized that the doctor was kind of useless. They're not, I mean, they know what they're talking about. However, it's the manager and the coach that they're accountable to. So if you tell them that the $10 million a year player can't play, they're really not going to listen to you. They're going to listen to the player. And so the play, I mean, look at the NFL. Was it three weeks ago where they put two guys in that had concussions back into the play and the quarterback couldn't even, you know, fucking see down the, down the field. And they just threw them back in the game. I mean, those guys could, could have died on a second impact on their heads. So it's just, I didn't want to be a part of that professional world because the doctors, albeit they're great at what they do, they're not really taken seriously. Oh, so I wanted to do something crazy. where people were taken more seriously. So actually it was funny because prison was, was the place where, you know, you get taken the, the most uh, the, seriously as a physician. And uh, the prisoners actually are appreciative of what you do. So a lot of people say, well, is it safe? Like, or did you feel worried at... I never felt, honestly, I never felt safer in the prison than I did out in the real world. Because in the real world, anybody could come in and shoot me in the head at any time if they were pissed off into any ER, into any urgent care, et cetera. Sure. In the prison, you know, you're surrounded by double fans and electric fans. You got armed guards everywhere. You know that none of them have guns. They might have a pokey knife that they could stab you with, but that's about it. And at the end of the day, they are appreciative of all the doctors and all the nursing care because those are the only people inside the prison that will take care of them. Everybody else, the guards, et cetera, and stuff, they know that they're going to fight or there's going to be issues sometimes, et cetera. It's all built around respect, that whole field. Um, and that world is built around respect. I respect you, you respect me. You get it back and forth. And they know that if they stab each other or if they kill each other and they've pissed off the doctor or tried to hurt the doctor, he's the only one that's going to keep them alive. So they're probably not going to survive. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very small. It's very just respect based. 
That's so interesting. What pri- do you mind asking what prison it was? Yeah, uh, so I, I started my career at um, Ironwood State Prison. It's in Blythe, right on the edge of California and Arizona. Okay. And then I actually moved to uh, a little s- south of that to a Calipatria State Prison. So it's a little south, almost on the at the border of uh, California, Mexico. So, what kind of injuries did you see? I guess you, I guess really that 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 list is endless. Oh yeah, I mean puncture wounds, um, a lot of puncture wounds from stabbings, from shanks and stuff like that. I mean, we would find shanks that were made out of Jolly Ranchers, you know, Technicolor shanks because Jolly Ranchers are super hard, and when you yeah. melt them and, and when you melt them together into a pike, it makes a really hard pike. And all you need is one stab when you have a pike seven inches long, right? So, I mean, different highlighters cut out to make a handle for a steak and, you know, lots of try to slice necks and, you know, cuts on the arms and broken, you know, broken arms, broken hands, uh, lots of blowout fractures of the face from getting hit in the face with things, um, tons. And then on the opposite side, you see rubber bullet wounds. From them, from them trying to get them to stop, or a lot of asthmatics with breathing issues to try that we had to stabilize because you get you hit them with the uh, uh, it's not tear gas, but it is um, they have the regular face spray pepper spray, and then they have these pepper spray bombs that explode, and they're a powder. So those things really like mess up people's oh. for sure. So yeah, we we saw it kind of saw everything under the sun. That's incredible. I guess no day was dull there. Yeah, it wasn't. It really wasn't. It'd be like the most normal day, and then you got two guys coming in with puncture wounds that are bleeding out, and one guy is like choking to death on the pepper spray. God bless. Yeah, it was wild. So, so you, how long did you work in the prison? So I worked in the prison, um, actually, exactly three years, almost to the day. Okay, and then what made you? What was the next step? Yeah, about a year and a half into so this was only um actually 2016. Okay. So I got out of residency 2016. I uh, started working in the prison right away. About a year and a half into it, I started listening to um Andy Frisella's podcast. Uh a few months later, he had Ed Milet on, so I started listening to Ed's podcast. Uh what joined the First Form Legionnaires as part of their, you know, affiliate reps for their uh, supplement company because I lived in the bodybuilding world was already doing bodybuilding so I took supplements all the time so started using their stuff January 1st of 2018 and at at that moment I was working in the prison I was living the good life you know first form rep etc et um, doing a lot of the self-improvement stuff and then Andy uh, I was getting I was saving up to do Andy's business school because he had been announcing for a long time that he was going to do some sort of business school. And I had gone back to get my MBA. I got my MBA at that point already, but it wasn't really any hands-on business stuff that I had gotten. And I knew that I wasn't going to, I, I, I thought I was going to work in the prison forever, you know, work there 20 years. I retire when I'm 50. It'll be great. Then I could go and do another job for 20 years and retire when I'm 70. I'll have a double pension when I'm 70. Um, that really all changed and went out the window after listening to Andy and Ed. Um, and then Andy talked, it was like in February and he had talked about on his story, how he talked to a group of ophthalmologists, eye doctors that were making, you know, good money, 500, 600 K a year and how they'd all become complacent. They'd all be, they all were just happy with what they were getting and they didn't want to improve. They didn't want to get better. And he's like, never, never be that way. Always improve. And I had been really unhappy like January, February of that year. And I couldn't figure out why I had a really good job. I had a beautiful wife, like what the hell is going on? And it was that it was just that I had become complacent. It was the same shit every single day. You know, I was bringing home a great amount of money, but it was just the same shit over and over. I wasn't improving. I wasn't challenging myself. So I was like, okay, well, I want to probably try and build my own business. So I'm going to need some money to do that. And it started off with the idea of wanting to build urgent cares. So my wife and I moved out of our house. We started renting our house and on the weekends through a, through a company 
And on the weekends, we would go live in a hotel or live at her parents' house, et cetera. And finally, we're like, okay, well, let's just move out completely. So we moved out completely from our house that we owned, rented it, and lived in a little master bedroom. We rented a master bedroom in a house with like six other people who lived there. So, all right. So just so I could totally understand, you're you're out of medical school. You have a great job. You got a beautiful wife. You guys are married. You have your house. Yeah. And then you, 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 you decide to fucking just basically move out of the house, rent it. Right. So you can save money to, for the next step. That's pretty impressive because I don't know too many people that would think of doing that. Yeah. We went backwards. Yeah. We went backwards a lot. It It was really hard. It was really, really hard for me um, to go backwards like that, you know, being a, 31 year old doctor and we moved out of our house that we owned um to really just to to just slum it you know it was our rent was like 700 a month all all inclusive in this tiny little room that we had everything in everything we owned was inside this little room so um, what did that do to your relationship or did it was you- horrible <laughs> no it was horrible okay it was horrible. like you know you feel inadequate as, as fuck because you're supposed to be the provider. Um, you have a really good job uh, as a physician. I had a really good job. Um, so that made it even worse where you feel like you could, you could, I could afford that life, you know, right. afford it. Would I be growing at all or would I be building something more than that? No, but I could afford that life. Um, and so it was really, really hard on the relationship. Um, there were, I mean, we had multiple fights and multiple arguments and, um, it took me a while to realize that she was sacrificing just as much as I was because, uh, you know, albeit she, she was a, uh, she was a server, but I felt it was, a, it was okay for me to be a dick because I was making more money and paying for things, et cetera. Mm. Um, and so it created even more strife, um, even more issues. And it just, it was, it was rough because I think a lot of it came, a lot of it stemmed from me feeling inadequate because we were moving out of the house and also at the same time getting into the Arte syndicate, which was, you know, in the middle of this, I had, we had moved out only about three or four months before I got into the syndicate and then seeing all these, all these entrepreneurs that are just absolutely killing it at life. So it was like, no matter what, even though people say, well, don't compare your first chapter to your, to somebody else's 10th chapter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you're an A type personality, you're going to fucking compare yourself to people, period. It's just how it's going to fucking be. I agree. Uh, And it took me about a year after that to realize, okay, you know what? Um, I am younger than most of the people in the Arte syndicate, but then again, I also did not, I chose to be a doctor so I didn't have a chance to do anything until I was 30 years old and out of school. And then you have, I had to realize like, look, it's, it's going to be, you know, like Andy says, no matter all the money in the fucking world, you cannot beat time. You cannot speed up time. So it's just like, okay, well, it's just going to take time. And, uh, and how many yeah. times would you say, you know, I know for me in my life, I've wished that I was, where so X, Y, Z is right. So I would, I, I've wished, wow, when I'm 50, I'll be where that guy is. And yeah. I wish I could just jump forward to that. And yeah. that's such small thinking. It is. It really is. And like, I still, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I, I still am very young with my entrepreneurship thinking. So I still think about it almost every day, almost every day. There's a little glimpse of like, fuck, I wish, and it doesn't help that I have really awesome friends who are killing it out here in Vegas. So you go over to their house and you smell their shit, like their Lamborghinis and their, uh, their sick cars and their beautiful homes. And you're like, fuck, damn it. <laughs> but, you're like, okay. but they're older. But then you got to remember, okay, five years, that's five years from now. That's five years older is the youngest guy who's closest to me. That's five years from now. That's 10 years from now, et cetera. You got to, you got Calm yourself down, Alex. You're not that far behind. You just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, and you're making such smart decisions for somebody who's gotten as far as you have in and built this this life after going through. I I 
you know, I look at medical school as, I mean, that's got to be a fucking nightmare to it. Oh, it is. I mean, I was up for, you know, you're up for four days in a row. I mean, just pounding caffeine, hopefully not killing somebody because, you know, your decision making is not as good as it used to be, you know, 72 hours ago. Um, Yeah, it's 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 like doing a, a marathon every single day of the mind. It really it cracks. It breaks a lot of people. That's why there's so many dropouts in medical school. They, they unfortunately build the schools and build the residencies to break you. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, if I guess I appreciate that to an extent because, you know, I, I know when I go and get treated by my doctor, I know what he's been through, he or she, I know what they've been through. And, and, and guess what? If I, if, if, if heaven forbid I walk outside and get my face eaten off by a dog yeah. and, and I've got to have a 20 hour surgery, I know that he or she can fucking do that yep. because he's done it three or four times more than what the situation calls for. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's important as much as as unfortunate as it is for you got for, you know, the, you doctors, mm-hmm. it, there, there may come a time when you really fucking need that shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're, you're fine. So when, um, so back to February, I wasn't happy. You know, Andy says this thing. Um, he went quiet actually about the school that he was building. So I was like, Oh, well shit. I, I have this money saved up uh, for that school you know, let's just roll it into a business. I thought I wanted to build an urgent care at the time. And then he announced the RTA syndicate. And I don't know what it was about it. I was just like, you know what? I, I feel like I have to be a part of this. This is something that I, I know I have to be a part of. Um, I didn't think I'd get in. I applied during intermission of a Jethro Tull concert. Um, <laughs> who, who was it? Jethro Tull. So he's an old school rocker, the first guy to like play the flute in rock music. And he used to kill it. And man, he he's like 80 years old now. And it was awful. It was (laughs) awful. (laughs) You go there expecting like old school rock and roll. And it was just like a bunch of guys that were good on their instruments, but they could not sing because they were, they were like all 80 years old. It was rough. It was rough. That's hilarious. I was like, you know what? I'll just apply to this thing. I'm not going to get in anyways. I'll just try. And then uh, I got accepted. And the rest is really history. After I got accepted, I met a ton of new people in the RTA, people that were at the next level that could help with my thinking, people that get it. Um, And that's the big thing you you know as well is that people don't understand that you want to improve. People don't stand, okay, you're a doctor. Why would you move out of the house that you live in? That doesn't make sense. Or why don't you have a nice car? Like, you know, aren't you a doctor? You have to have a nice car. Um, They don't get going backwards. They don't get the struggles. They don't get the, well, why can't you just be happy with what you have? Well, I am happy with what I have, but that doesn't mean I can't want more. Sure. Not only myself, but for other people. So if I have, you know, people don't understand that if you have a fuckload of money, you can give away a fuckload of money to change a ton of lives. Yes. If you have a little bit of money, yeah, you could give a, li- a little bit of money away. But a person who has billions of dollars is going to be able to change people's lives, whether they do or don't, a lot more, a lot more, and a lot more lives than people who don't. Absolutely. 100%. And you're right. Not everybody does that with their money, but the people that do, you know, history shows and it repeats itself. The people that that give away a a, a vast majority of their income usually are the most, uh, they're for sure the richest in, uh, in their, in their own mind, so to speak. That was really not the best way to put it, but you, I know you get it. I'm trying to paint the picture for the listeners that, like, they are the most fulfilled. You go from, yes. a, I, think, I think you go from an area of just what when you're young, and I, I'm still there, honestly, wanting the cool shit, the cars, the houses, etc., to not being fulfilled by any of that. And fulfillment really is giving to others. 
Um, and, and you ask any, uh, you know, I would say 99% of millionaires, billionaires, et cetera, what they're, what they get the happiest about. And it's giving to others. I mean, just take, we're, we're in the middle of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Take, for example, Christmas. I mean, the more you give to, to people and the, the, the gift of giving, everybody seems to be cheerful as fuck around Christmas. It's not because they're getting gifts. I mean, if you're a kid, yeah, it is, <laughs> but sure. it's for, for adults, it's like giving gifts to other people and giving gifts to family, etc. Um, I think that's, that's where people get that feeling of fullness and fulfillment from is giving to others. And you're right. Those people who have a ton of money and they give a lot of away, a bit away, whether it to be to their building their high school, a uh, uh, field or, you know, donating to charities or helping build houses in uh, low income areas, they feel the most fulfilled and they'll say, they, they will say they feel the most fulfilled. And that was a big part of what I was unhappy about in January, February of 2018 was I did a lot of outreach. I mean, I was in, I went to, I, and worked with AMREF in Africa and went to India to villages and stuff like that, did a lot of medical outreach and stuff like that. And I wasn't doing any medical outreach or any outreach at all at that point. So it was like, well, no wonder why I'm not fulfilled. I'm not doing anything to really improve anybody else's life, but my own. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the kid, you know, it's like Tony says, Tony Robbins, you know, the, the gift of giving is living or something like that. Somewhere along those lines. It's so true. It is is. absolutely true. So, um, okay. So you're working in the prison and then. So then I get into the RHA syndicate. I'm still working in the prison. I'm saving up money to build an urgent care. I meet a few people in the RHA syndicate and everything changes my idea about business. Um, I realized that urgent cares cost like 800 grand to build. And it's just like, okay, well, what can I do otherwise? Um, I talked to a friend of mine who is in the RTA. It was in the RTA syndicate last year. He needed a new medical director and he asked me to be his medical director. And I told him, no, I said, no, I'm not going to be your slave. I got into the RTA syndicate to not work for anybody else anymore. I'm not trading one job for another. So he said, uh, all right, well, how about you just take equity in my company instead? And I was like, wait, what? Uh, all right. So he just gave me some equity in his company. Um, right. And so ge- that's Genesis lifestyle medicine. And that does all, that's all our hormone therapy, peptides, uh, aesthetics, medicine stuff. We have four locations, three in the Denver area, one in Fort Collins in Colorado, one in Nashville. And then we just opened this one here in Las Vegas and we're going to be opening one in Arizona and Scottsdale in January. And that's the, the, hormone therapy side of it. The other business we built together was actually a stem cell clinics as well. So we started off just doing honestly stem cell clinics here in Las Vegas, which has been really good. And then in Scottsdale, Arizona as well and Denver. So we have three uh, cell spark, which is our regenerative medicine stem cell clinics. Okay. So So now we're, now we're co-branding everything and doing both the hormone therapy and the weight, hormone weight loss, erectile dysfunction, hair restoration, et cetera, with Genesis and doing the stem cells and everything with CellSpark in each of our locations. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense that you would marry the two together because yeah. they're, they, they complement each other perfectly. So, yeah. you know, for somebody out there listening in there, so, give me an example of a good stem cell patient like what 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 do you use primarily your the stem cells for so really the best patients are the ones that have uh shoulder or knee injuries or a back injury so shoulders or knees those people patients who are like ha, have been told they're bone on bone and they have zero cartilage left or they have some small meniscus tear usually a surgery is going to either replace the joint which 50% of people who get a joint replacement are going to need another joint replacement at some point in their life. 10 years about? T- about 10 years. Some, okay. some a lot sooner than that, but yeah, about 10 years. Okay. Um, and then those patients who have small meniscus tears and things like that, a doctor is going to go in there and just cut out the half of the meniscus that's torn instead of repairing it because it's much faster to cut it out rather than sit there and repair it. The recovery is a lot shorter, et cetera. However, that increases the amount of arthritis a patient will get faster because they have half the amount of meniscus, which is the shock absorber in the knee. Okay. So 
patients that have those, we inject stem cells into the area. The stem cells will help recruit the body's own stem cells and own growth factors to help heal up meniscus, help regrow cartilage in shoulders, help uh, with rotator cuff tears, heal up muscles, ligaments, tendons. And then in the spine, it really helps reduce reduce uh, disc protrusions. So anybody who has slipped discs, it can really help reduce those by rebuilding the discs, helps with uh, opening up nerve uh, impingements. So usually there's a lot of inflammation, so it'll reduce the inflammation in that area of the nerve, as well as open up where the nerves are coming out because it kind of strengthens the spine. So a lot of spine issues, we see a lot of motor vehicle accidents or people who have had chronic surgeries on the back and have buildup of scar tissue because it can help remodel scar tissue as well in certain areas of the back. So we would do it for all those types of injuries. So what's interesting about that? So, you know, the people listening already know that I've been in, in health and wellness for, you know, a decade, over a decade. Mm-hmm. And so the importance of what Alex just said was, uh, you know, people that have back injuries, and I'm just telling you from my own experience, too, I have issues with my back. And then secondly, working with uh, patients slash uh, clients that have back issues has mm-hmm. always been a challenge because I I think I've met one person in my whole life that said the back injury or the, the back surgery fixed my back and I have zero issues. One. Yeah. yeah. And, and that must've been a fluke because yeah. I had, a, I haven't met hardly any person that doesn't have as much or more issues with their back after having surgery. Why is that? Yeah. A lot of, well, the, it's because we don't understand enough about the body yet. I think, um, and a lot of back surgeons will tell you that it's about a 50-50 chance whenever you go into a surgery with backs. Um, and especially issues that we have like spinal fusions. The problem is that you fuse two bones and then after a while, the screws and stuff start to get loose. So in order to keep those tight, they go to the next level of the spine and fuse that. And then, the, you know, the next level, the next level and so on. And it's just as we have osteoporosis, which is as, you know, we're getting older and our bones are getting brittle, all that hardware is going to start to lose it and get worse and worse. And then if you are already at advanced age, already have bone issues, it's even harder to get a replacement hip, knee, I mean, any type of bracing in the back, spinal fusion, et cetera, to actually hold. So that's why I think we have so many failed surgeries is that we don't have really strong bones that you're going into with a lot of patients that are really, really damaged and have issues like that. And I mean, I used to do it too. I used to just inject the back or just inject shoulders with numbing medication. Great. I mean, but studies show that a patient will get 10 times the amount of cortisone that's probably effective. And that 10 times the amount of cortisone in an injection is really eating away cartilage and eating away bone, damaging it. So we're speeding up. I mean, we're helping you feel better, but all we're doing is blocking the pain. We're not mask. We're not improving anything. So when that blockage of pain goes away, you're already worse than what you were at the beginning because you're just going to wear and tear and wear and tear and wear and tear rather than regenerate it and go backwards. So, yeah. Yeah, so the so the stem cell so so by injecting stem cells in an area like the back, it re, like you said, it recruits your own growth hormone or your both all. So I guess it's similar to, or maybe I'm wrong, but what is it that the umbilical cord has? Um, uh, is it is that stem cell? Is that yeah. why people freeze the umbilical cord? Yeah, so that's what we use. We use umbilical cord stem cells. So. Um, we use a mixture of both the umbilical cord tissue and the umbilical cord blood. So it's two different types of stem cells. There's hemo- hematopoietic from the blood and mesenchymal from the actual tissue. And the mesenchymal cells are the ones that can actually turn into uh, chondrocytes and cartilage and stuff like that, a very small amount. But the rest of the amount, especially with the uh, um, hematopoietic stem cells, can help recruit the growth factors and help use the mesenchymal stem cells to regrow bone and tissue and things like that. So there used to be an idea that all stem cells turned into cartilage or turned into something in the joint and, or in the back. And and that's just not true. 
is a very small amount. And it depends on who you talk to. Everybody will argue something different because there's always some new research coming out. And it's a fairly new medicine in the United States, although it's been studied 30 plus years in, in other countries. Um, so we're looking at a lot of the other countries' research based off of, what, of how we treat people. And so it's been around for you know decades, and people don't actually realize that. They still think we're experimenting on patients, but we're not. Sure, sure. So what about the hormone side of it? What, uh, what would you tell, you know, can you kind of give us a quick idea of what that looks like? Absolutely. So the hormone therapy um, came about from people who are getting older and they say, oh, well, I have aches and pains. That's just normal. I'm getting older. It's not. That's just the thing. Like people think that getting older, you automatically are supposed to have aches, pains, breakdown of joints, like be in a walker or use a cane as you get older. That's not normal aging. And that's right. not aging that you want to, that you want to have. So we like to keep patients as young as possible. We keep their hormone levels at a normal level for a 20 to 30 year old. We keep their growth hormone levels at normal levels for a 20, 30 year old. So we help people age better. And when you have normal hormones, all those little aches and pains and things like that and your ability to regenerate, they all improve. They all get better. So we have people that have arthritis all over their body. They normalize their hormones. Their arthritis goes away. Well, it's because they're able to regenerate better and their hormones are actually in a homeostasis rather than all over the place, up and down. People who are exhausted all the time. It may not just be entrepreneurship and stress that makes you exhausted. It may be your hormones. And really, anyone after the age of 35, you start to really drop off the deep end when it comes to your hormones. Yeah. And so almost, almost everybody qualifies for hormones after the age of 35 to normalize you up. I mean, I was 30 when, my, when I got my hormones checked and my testosterone was 105. And it's normally supposed to be, you know, 400 to 600. Sure. Oh, I, I was just, I thought I was just tired all the time. Yeah, I was in the same exact boat. Uh, I think mine was 90. I mean, it was terrible. Wow. I was, yeah. it was so bad. And people don't, it's like you said, people believe that, well, it's just age and that's why I'm tired or I work a lot. That's why I'm tired. But that's really, there's a damn good, yep. there's a damn good chance that's not the case. Yeah, misery loves company. You yeah. just start to think like, oh, well, you know, this is just me. This is how life's going to be. No, it's not. So we like to improve that part of people's lives. Absolutely. And so you do that through both testosterone and you mentioned the peptides. What is it? Samorlin, Ipamorlin? Kind of uh, all of the above. We use a mix depending on the patient. Um, we like a lot of CJC with Ipamorlin. That's kind of the uh, anti-aging mixture that you could take forever. Um, Sermorellin is more of the like increasing your growth hormone and muscles. We have ones BPC-157 and TB-500 for healing factors and stuff that we can use with stem cells to help heal patients up. Uh, so there's, I mean, there's something like, I think there's about 70 or 80 already out for peptides. Um, and if people are wondering what peptides is, insulin is a peptide. So there's already a seven year 80 out. And I think there's like 7,000 that are currently being formulated and studied by the FDA, et cetera. So there's going to be a lot more coming out and they're a lot safer because these are amino acids that are signaling molecules rather than straight up synthetic hormones that you're replacing in people. Right. So we, we use testosterone and then we also use bioidentical hormones in the form of pellets, sure. which will reduce your own, your own production as well. So, okay, so uh, so I've done both, obviously. Okay. Well, I guess that's not obvious because we actually didn't do pellets at our, our clinic, but I have done both. And my experience with pellets have been, you know, first of all, it's a process, right? It's a process to have to go in and get your ass cheek cut open, da-da-da. But then, you know, when the pellets actually kick in, and I would say it's a two- to three-week time, time frame, mm -hmm. but mine usually would last – you know, two good months going on a third month uh, would start to taper off. And that is not what was sold to me. Yeah. What was sold to me was probably very active, right? I am. But the yeah. guy knew that. And so either way, so it would be about every three months. Is that what you see normally? 
Yeah, so I, I tell my patients like the, that are very sedentary where they don't do anything, they don't do a lot of activity, they're exhausted all the time, they're just trying to be normal uh, and not working out every day or not running or et cetera. I just, I'd say you're going to last about five to six months. Sure. Those athlete patients that are like really athletic, hitting the gym hard every day, et cetera, I say you're probably going to get at most a good four months. That's at most and probably less than that. So every three to four months, you'll need uh, repeat pelleting. Sure. Now, do you do vitamin therapy at your clinics? Or your- we do some vitamins. We don't do a ton. We do uh, ALA, B12, uh, MIC, um, and I think L-leucine right now. Um, okay. We might do more vitamin therapy, but we don't do a ton. But is it, it – but is it is it uh, – uh, interim, uh, IV. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. We do, IV, uh, we do both IV and intramuscular. It's pretty, I mean, I t- I'll tell you, you know, we didn't do that. We didn't do it at, at my clinic, but we were close. I think that it's probably the new way to really to, you know, it's of course to fix a hangover or, or really just to feel good. And what, what would you say? How often would you say somebody would need to come and do that? Once a week? Once a month? Once for a vitamin therapy? Really? You should probably do it about once a week. Yeah, yeah. Because your body, really your body will chew through the vitamins like crazy, um, especially when you start to feel good and you start to be more active or do more things. Your body will really chew through it, so it's you're going to want to do it every week to keep you normal. Do you offer any kind of anti aging in your vitamin therapy? Like uh, stem cells, stuff like that? Well, uh, like I, I know that, you know, insulin growth factor one, people mm-hmm. put that in their vitamin bags, so to speak. Yeah, sometimes sometimes we'll do it. Most of the time, actually, what we'll do is we'll support the IVs with, with peptides because we feel like the peptides, one, are safer for the patient, and two, we'll give them a better long-term results rather than just slamming them once a week with it. Okay, so it's so so you wouldn't normally put it in the vitamin therapy. Okay, uh, we don't we don't at this point. We might in the future, but we wouldn't. We don't at this point. Well, it's interesting because, and the reason really I ask is because I I I don't know how you would dose something like I don't know how you would dose yeah. a vitamin bag with with uh, somorlin or ipromorlin or B, BPC whatever. Yeah, you really can't. It's really difficult to. And a lot of those time, a lot of those medications are either SQ or intramuscular. So if you do them in the IV, you, one, you could hurt somebody. Damn, Two, I didn't even think of that. You don't really know how they're going to work or right. if they're going to Shit, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because yeah. you don't do, you don't take any kind of hormone therapy uh, in a vein. I mean. Nope, not at all. Um. Wow. Okay. That makes, yeah, I didn't even think about that part of it. Okay. So, so it's so interesting. So you want, so now you, uh, do you still own the house that you rent? No, I sold it actually. Okay. So, uh, so back, I guess back to the story, um, around, so we, this was the RTA. We got in the RTA in July of last year, started changing ideas. Lewis and I had the conversation about scrubs in October of last year. Um, then Brent and I had the conversation about being his medical director in like April uh, or February of last, of 2019, this year, of 2019. Oh yeah, it is still this year. Ah, yeah. shit. <laughs> They're getting tighter and tighter. Um, of February of this year. Um, so, it, so we had that discussion of equity at that time. So as of June, we had the PC thre- threads almost ready to go. I was the medical director over there at, in their Genesis lifestyle medicine. Um, and then also had CellSpark planned out and ready to go. So August 1st, we launched the Scrubs. We launched the Genesis, um, or August 1st, we launched the Scrubs and the um, CellSpark right. of this year. Uh, a month later, we opened the Denver Clinic, and two weeks after that, we opened the Arizona Clinic for CellSpark. Um, so this is like mid-September. And then, so those have been running since then. 
And recently, within the last two weeks, we just opened Genesis here in Las Vegas and then plan to open Genesis in January in our Scottsdale, Arizona clinic. And then we'll be expanding to a Dallas location in the Dallas Star um, where the where the um, Cowboys have their practice field. Very so cool. we'll be opening opening up in the Baylor Research Institute there, a clinic there. Sweet. Yeah. So it's things are moving really, really fast and it's been it's been great. It's been really just completely changed my life. We sold our house and moved out here to Las Vegas in July of this year. Damn. So yeah. two years ago, none of this, none of this was even a thought. Yeah, at all. Honestly, um, probably 18 months ago, I would say none of this was even a thought. That's fucking crazy. I mean, yeah. you guys listen, you have no idea what it takes to put together just one location uh, for the, you know, and you said you're over four. It takes months of planning and and there's so much thought that have to go, has to go into yeah. Right down to the fact there has to be a fucking sink in every room. Yep. Like, it's shit like that that people don't think about. They don't know because it's not their field. But it's a lot of planning that goes into this. Yeah, it is a lot of planning. And actually, once we got to the point of having the uh, the three cell sparks open and we have the six already Genesis open, we're like, okay, we kind of we started to get ahead of ourselves. And we're like, okay, now we're starting to – stumble a little bit because we're we're just pulled in too many directions at once let's let's stop and let's revisit just making these clinics really really good and having a a really really good because it's slow at the beginning you're like okay we we want more we want more let's build another clinic we have the money let's build another clinic we have the money and it's like okay well then you have to staff them and you have to make sure that the staff is doing exactly what you want them to do and it was just me and, and my clinic director who was staffing a lot of these. Plus we have some staff in Denver. It was just like, okay, well, we're being pulled in all different directions. We can't really focus on making one really good. Let's focus on making one Las Vegas really good right now, coming up with all the pathways and all the different, um, how would I say it? Charts of how to do this and this and this and this and this in this stepwise fashion and then we can roll that out to the other clinics and hire people to do those jobs it's like mcdonald's you take mcdonald's how can a 16 year old kid be a fucking manager in a mcdonald's well because they have everything clearly put out in their manuals to where you can put anybody in any job and they know exactly what to do that's why they're all built exactly the same too you know, you walk in, you got the fryer on the left and the chicken nugget machine is on the right and et cetera. You know, I never worked at McDonald's, so don't. Uh, don't, I, don't I'm don't, going don't with me. Don't bitch me out for not knowing where the McDonald's shit is. But, <laughs> but they're all built exactly the same and they all run exactly the same because it's the same manual for all of them. So Which, we're going back to like, let's build the same manual for this one and just, we'll just roll it out to all of them. And so it's going to be really slow building that first one and slow relatively. I mean, months. Then once you have that slow one built, then you could pop them up two up every single freaking month for eternity because they're all going to run exactly the same. And this is the, and the most, and one of the things I think that is so important about that process and making them all the same is guess what? Now, if Corey as a patient wants to go to the Las Vegas uh, uh, facility, or I want to go to the Tennessee facility, I'm going to mm -hmm. get the same treatment. hundred percent. Like I'm going to go to one and they're going to say, Oh, you know, you need X, Y, Z. And then you yeah. go to a different location and they disagree. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's all the same. Yep. Super. Super, 100%. Super. I love that. That's fantastic. So, um, um, okay. So, uh, let me think. What else was I going to ask you about? So, your next location is when? So, our, our next Genesis location is going to be in uh, Arizona in, in Scottsdale. We already have the cell spark. 
which is the which is the stem cell. So our next hormone therapy will be there in Arizona, and then our next um, combined one because now we're going to just do both, both hormone therapy and stem cells with sure. everything we built now on. Our next combined one will be uh, January February of next year at uh, the Dallas Star in in Frisco, that, Texas. That's right. So you are you franchising them? So we do. We do kind of a weird franchise. We don't do the traditional franchise where people pay a franchise fee and they have to buy into it, et cetera. What we do is we as partners talk with um, whoever is interested in investing. And usually it's not just an investor. It's somebody who's also going to help run the clinics in their general area. We say, okay, this is where we want to build the clinic. And instead of paying us an investment fee or or, um, a franchise fee, what they do is they pay for the clinic to be created. And that could be anywhere between really 20 and 50 K 50 K on the very, very, very high end. Okay. So it's not a huge, it's not a huge in, investment. It's not a huge investment. It's 20 to 20 to 50 K to hire everybody, et cetera. We as a company go and train everybody. We give them that pathway to succeed. We help ordering all the meds, setting up the clinic, everything that they need, training everybody in the clinic to, to do exactly what they need to do. And then we just get them running. And however that person wants to run that clinic, whether they want to take all the, uh, you know, um, profits out and give themselves salary or what we recommend is, Hey, these things will run themselves after a few months. So just let it run itself. Then the profits you just put into another one and then let it run itself. And then the profits you put into another one. So you can, can have four or five of these things in the same area and they essentially will all pay for themselves all right they, so i i, I love it we ahead. can build them to the point where you can make uh, a year out of each one on the on the low end a million dollars a year on the high end three to six million so we're we're trying to get them each to be about three million dollars a year it's mind blowing. Uh, in this, and I did, you know, I didn't even ask these questions for okay. a particular reason. I asked the question so people would be enlightened about what you do. Yeah. But what's fucking completely mind blowing is that I, you know, when I shut down my clinic, mm-hmm. um, that's a whole long story in itself. We didn't have the, that, the guidance that you're talking about. Yeah. And so Corey had to learn to, to, create to, to run this whole damn clinic by myself. Yep. So when I stopped that, I, I have a good friend who works for a large pharmaceutical company in New York that does stem cell. Oh, nice. And so I con I, talk, I contacted him cause he's been a friend for 10 years. Yeah. And I said, Hey, this is what happened. You know, what the fuck? And he was like, I need you to look into something. And I said, okay. He said, I want you to look into syndogenics. And I know you know what Cynogenics is. He said, Corey, this is the thing. He said, I don't like the way they do their shit. He was like, but they have a good concept. He was like, I've been a member there for years. He said, I would love to bury them. Thank God I didn't say this guy's name. I would love to bury them because quite frankly, it's like dealing with a bunch of assholes. Yeah. And he said, what I want you to do is figure out how we can, maybe either franchise a model from them or, mm-hmm. or something along those lines. He said, but I want you to look into whatever, how it is to, to start that. And I said, okay, yeah. long story short, I climbed myself to, I don't remember the guy's name. It doesn't matter at this point what his name is, but he was the guy that I needed to talk to that made those decisions. And yeah. usually without being a doctor, you don't get that far. Yeah. And so I tell you this whole story because you and I are clearly going to have to have a conversation outside of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because there's too many dots that just got connected. Yeah. And so um, I don't know if any of that made any sense to the people listening or not, but it, the point is, is that the fucking universe has just answered a whole bunch of questions for me that I didn't know if but there would ever be answered. Yeah, absolutely. So, so and, and I'll delve into that at, at a later time with you. Yeah. Um, Alex, Sounds great. God, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about all the stuff that you've done. And I guess the biggest takeaway for me has been that, you know, you got, if you think 
that you're at a point in your life where you are, are going to be at the same point forever. You just have to think a little bit bigger than that because the universe's plan is so much bigger than what yeah. your plan is for yourself. Because if yeah. it were up to you, you'd still be at the prison. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of, um, one of the things that I like to tell people a lot is you look at people in the Arte syndicate and you think they've been killing it their whole lifetime. But when you start to ask them, honestly, I would say at least 50% of them have not had their business for more than three years. And if you go back three years ago, they were living out of their cars. They were renting a bedroom in somebody else's house. They were, you know, shitting in a bucket in a container because that's where they lived, uh, living off food stamps, etc. So these guys that are killing it and ballers now weren't like that three years ago. So it can, it can move very, very fast. You just have to realize that the opportunities are going to be there and the little whispers are the opportunities and those are the ones you need to run towards rather than just be focused on one idea, always be open to the next thing that may happen. I totally agree. And that's I want to thank you again for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. If you have not already subscribed, please do. And look, if you really enjoyed today's episode, email me at SuccessfulLifePodcast at gmail.com and tell me what it was you enjoyed. And if there's somebody that you want me to bring on, then email me about that and tell me who it is. And... I'll make sure it happens. So, you know, leave us a review, tell a friend, and until next time, folks, have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at CoreyBarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.